Thank you for tuning in to my podcast, Enforcing Purpose with Lisa Schwartz. For more information or to keep up on current events and products, please go to my website at www.lisa-schwartz.com. So I'm excited to get to this portion of the message. I was excited about the first message, but I'm excited to get to this portion of the message um, because I think, I feel like the Lord has really said it's going to pinpoint some of the things that are really just kind of being obstacles in your life that's keeping you from coming in and living and stepping into the fullness of his story. But let me pick up a little bit of where we are at and talking about the power of a story. And I want to share with you that Jesus himself is a demonstration of understanding the power of stories and that he would take spiritual truths and he would turn them into reality for the listeners so that they could understand it. And so was how he kind of reached up out into the spirit and brought it into the, within the frame of reference in which we would have an understanding to understand things that we otherwise would not be able to understand, right? So that's why he told these parables where he would take spiritual con concepts, spiritual truths, and he would put them within the frame of things that we could understand. He told stories about a farmer. He told stories about trees. He told stories about seeds. Uh, he told stories about a soldier in an army. And he did that because how do you take these high and lofty concepts, these kingdom potentials, these kingdom possibilities, and pull them down into a place where we can have an understanding of what does that look like in our lives. And so what he was doing when he would say, imagine a world like this. He would say, the kingdom of heaven is like. And in a sense, what he was saying, imagine a world like this. And I like to liken it to reaching out and grabbing the hold of the heart of his listeners and pulling them through Narnia's closet door and bringing them into another world. He was saying, let's step out of the mundane of the natural for a moment and let's come through the, the portal of the spirit and step in and imagine a world like this. See, Jesus knew the power of stories to present to you kingdom possibilities within the life of the here and now. And he relied on those stories to stir up the heart of the imagination, the possibilities, the God potential within his listeners. And I would like to propose to you that he was the master storyteller. Because he himself understood the power of a story. The power of the story to stir up what we otherwise wouldn't be able to imagine of our own will. With our own mind, with our own intellect. We would learn well, we would do well to learn from Jesus the power in telling our stories. Understanding that we're doing the same thing. See, I told you my story earlier because I wanted to demonstrate the, the ability to say, imagine your life like this. Imagine if you were to say, it's not about my adequacy, it's about my availability. Imagine your world. I'm a life coach and I like to say this question, people. Who would you be? If you didn't have that core lie or that core belief, whether it's fear, whether it's anger, whether it's been, who would you be if you didn't have that unforgiveness in your heart? Imagine your life without fear. 
Imagine your life without anger. Imagine your life without disease. Who would you be if you didn't have those things? See, what I'm doing is I'm giving you permission to dream about who you are in the spirit. Imagine who you would be if you were living into the fullness of the possibilities which God has put in your heart. The dreams that you think about, the things that keep you awake at night, the things that excite you. See, this is how we discover the dream that's been in our heart all along. That's who you are. Imagine who you would be. The power of story. A story is more than just a story. It's a stirring of the imagination and the presentations of possibilities. See, although we receive and we learn information through or truths through stories, it's not about the information. It's about the experiences that reveal a reality that we otherwise wouldn't know were it not for somebody's story. See, Jesus had a story to tell, and it was a story of of his, the reality of heaven. It was his experience of living life in the heavens. And he brought it down. He was like, listen, I'm going to try and bring this down to you in a way that you can potentially grasp it through a story. And I'm giving you more than just information. I'm telling you my experience that can be your reality. That's your reality. There's a famous saying that says, a lost coin is found by means of a candle, but deepest truth is found by means of a simple story. Because stories reveal more than information. The Bible says, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. And that word to know there means to come to know or to realize or to recognize by personal experience. It's when we come to recognize the recognition of truth because of personal experience. See, I would like to propose to you that the knowledge of the kingdom isn't what sets me free. It's the reality of the kingdom that sets me free. It's more than just having knowledge. It's the reality, the recognition of what I know is true in my intellect becoming my reality because I've now experienced it. I've walked it. But many of us are afraid to even walk that path. And so we live based on what we know, and it never becomes our reality. And so we live our life broken, enslaved, captivated, never experiencing the freedom that God has in mind for us. Because we're afraid to step out of the intellect of knowledge into the reality of what can be true so that it can become the way I live my life. It's more than information. It's a reality that God is offering us. Amen. But that requires me to step outside of this and step into the spirit. I'm going to move beyond my mind. I'm going to move beyond even my heart. And I'm going to step into the depths of the spirit. See, the de depths of God speaks to the depths of a man. It bypasses your mind. He bypasses your heart. And he speaks into the spirit. Spirit to spirit, we commune with the Lord and he reveals things that we otherwise would not know. That's what it tells us in Jeremiah. Call out to me and I will reveal to you great and mighty things. Things that are walled about. Things that you otherwise would not know except by the Holy Spirit. It's moving beyond all of that and getting to a place where we experience truth. It's our reality, and that's the reality becomes our freedom, that I can be in a captivating circumstance but still be skipping in the spirit. Come on. Amen. 
I can be in a captivating financial situation but still be prospering in the spirit. I can be walking through a wilderness and walking in a desert but still be drinking of the living water. I can be standing in a dark situation but still be illuminated by a light. I can still be in chaos but still be in the know because I know Jesus. See, I can know nothing but if I know the name of Jesus, I know everything. That's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about stepping outside of your natural story and coming into the reality of a greater story, the greatest story that's ever been written. And it's the story of Jesus Christ that comes by the blood of the Lamb. That's what I'm talking about. The Bible is full of stories that absolutely give us information. But if all we learn from them is information and we never experience realities or see a God potential or see something that is outside of this world, we're missing it. We're missing it. If all we get is information about what God looks like and we never step into the person of God, we're missing it. See, God isn't just saying this is a high and lofty concept that's outside of your realm. He's saying this is a high and lofty concept that is your reality. It is your God possibility. It is your God potential. It is your God ability. I like to challenge my clients and say, consider what your love ability is. What is your love ability in the spirit? Because to the same degree and to the same depths that you've been able to love in the soul, you can't even compare it to the spirit. Your love ability is not of this world. It's super natural. It's above and beyond what we would experience in this lifetime. Well, we, of course, we know not only was Jesus a master story, storyteller, but God himself is a master storyteller. Think with me for a moment about the creation story. It's all about setting the stage in which God would position two characters named Adam and Eve. The main characters in creation, just like a director would set a stage for a play, God had a story to tell. And the story would reveal kingdom principles through man's experiences. Just like Jesus, God wants to reveal the kingdom through his stories. And it's being lived out through you and I. His people, Adam and Eve, there to live out a story. And the plot was love. Come on. The plot was love. It was all about love. See, our stories reveal God's heart, his ways. And we, just like Jesus, as a storyteller, become the intersection where heaven and earth collide, being the demonstration, demonstration exemplifying the fullness of heaven riches here on earth. We don't have to wait. We don't have to wait to reap the fullness of heaven and kingdom riches. They've been available. They've been made available to us through the person of Jesus Christ. And that's the story that we're living. Heaven colliding on earth through you and I. We are the intersection. Listen, when Jesus fed the multitudes, he looked at the disciples and he said, you feed them. Why? Because they were the intersection where kingdom provision brought, was brought into the natural through people. Jesus could have done it, but he invited the disciples to be a part of where heaven and earth would collide. You follow? Where heaven and earth would collide. We are that intersection. And every day we hear the Lord saying, you feed them. You lay hands on them. You pay for that. But we step back and wait for God to do it. And God says, baby, I've put the rod of God 
feet. Raise the rod and part the water. This is what we call partnering with the Lord. Where the rod of the Lord, the pen of God has been handed to you and has said, listen, you and I are going to write together. I have a story that's been written for you, but you're going to trace every word. And as you trace it, it's going to move from being transparent to into reality. You follow what I'm saying? You remember when you were a kid and they would give you those little alphabet and they were like this very faint line and you would trace that. See, that's that faint line is prophetically what God is showing you about your life and he's handed you the pen and he said bring it in to reality trace that a trace that b trace that c trace it letter by letter word by word day by day week by week month by month year by year and come in to the story that's been there all along Hallelujah. Yes. it's been there all along so maybe you're sitting here tonight wondering what's what's my story what's the purpose of my life and it's important for you to understand that everybody has a story. Everybody has a purpose. You may be sitting there thinking, my life has zero impact. I haven't seen any purpose in some of the muck and yuck that's been in my life. My story isn't any good. I don't see any purpose. I don't see any value in the way that I've lived my life. I struggle with feeling worthless. Come on now. There's not one of us in here who hasn't had a day where we've struggled thinking, what was the purpose of this day? What was the point? But I'm here to tell you that when God says in Romans, oh, we know, for we know. Everybody say, we know. we know. We know. This means I know. I'm confident. It's established. I am one with the truth. That's what that word means to know. It is, I am recognizing it by personal experience. I know that all things are working together for good. To those who love God, that's me. And those who are called according to his what? To his purpose. For I know that all things are working together for good. Listen to me. Listen to me. When I'm going to make a batch of brownies, I'm going to throw all kinds of ingredients in there. I'm going to throw baking soda in there. I'm going to throw a raw egg in there. I'm going to throw some cocoa powder in there. I'm going to throw some oil in there. And every single one of those ingredients in and of themselves, by themselves, tastes no good. But when I put them all together and they work together, and I apply a little bit of heat, something yummy comes out of the oven. And that's what that verse is saying. There are all kinds of ingredients, and when we're just tasting of the baking soda, and like, that doesn't taste any good. I don't want that. I don't want the raw egg. I don't want the cocoa. I don't want the raw oil. But give me the brownies, God. You can't do that. See, because the brownies come with the oil, the raw egg, the cocoa, the baking soda, and you got to add a little bit of heat to it, and out comes something yummy. That's what that verse is talking about. All things work together for good. The oil, the raw egg, the baking soda, the cocoa powder, all of it is necessary for it to come together for something good. That's what it's talking about. But it's saying, I am confident in this. I know. I know that not a day of reading raw eggs isn't going to come into brownies. I know that not a day of sucking down baking soda isn't going to come into raw. And I'm going to hold God to his promise. I'm so confident in this that I'm not leaving. Listen, if it's not good, he's not done. If it's not good yet, he's not done. If you're still in the oven, he ain't done yet. Because don't walk away until you taste of the brownies. 
I'm telling you, if it's not good yet, if it's not yummy, God's not done. You hang in there and you endure those raw eggs. You endure that baking soda. You endure that cocoa because we know, we're confident that all things are working together for our good. All things are working. See, God has an intentional plan for each one of us. We were created with an intentional purpose. You know the Bible says, for we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand. See, this was prepared beforehand. The Bible says that he, we were chosen at the foundations of the earth beforehand. That's that faint tra tracing that I was talking to you about. See, there's already a story that's been written. It's been preordained and it's super faint. And God, every day when we're making choices, every day as we're living life, it's like us taking the pen and beginning to fill in all those dots and filling in all the gaps and making what's been written a reality through our lives. Being God's workmanship, that's a poema. In the Greek, that's the word poema, which is where I grew up, we get our word poem. It's the idea of being a fabric or being fashioned. See, God says, you are my poem. I have written a poem in your life. You are my poema. That's what it means to be God's workmanship. And of course, we know a poet has something he wants to say. He has something he wants to express. He has a message he's trying to convey. And you are that expression of God's heart. You are the expression. He has something to say. God has something to say through you and I. And we've got to know that. And we've got to be willing to endure the raw eggs because we are unwilling to not be God's poema. We have to be tenacious and stubborn for that. The Bible says it like this, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you and approved of you as my chosen instrument. That's what it says in Jeremiah 1.5, where he says, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before I, you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you to the nations. Listen to me. And the Amplified, it says, I approved of you. Some of you need to know today that you've been approved. And I'm not talking about the approval of man. I'm talking about approval of God. And God says, God says, everybody say God says. God says, I am approved. Come on, say it. God says, I am approved. See, before your eye knew any light, the God of creation had in mind a holy plan for your day, for your life, a holy plan, every day ordained before you even came to be. That's fascinating to me. I can't comprehend that. I can't understand it, but I believe it because if the word of God says it, I believe it. See, I don't have to understand it. I just have to believe it. That's why it's faith. We live by faith, not by sight. If I understood it, that's living by my intellect. I don't live by my intellect. It would ruin my life. I've tried it. I live by faith. And when my intellect steps in and I start making intellectual decisions and I think I'm really cool and really smart, that's when things go really bad. But God says, before I came into existence, he knew me. He wrote a story. And he had something he wanted to say through my life. My life is not my own. And I'm glad it's not. I'm glad it's not. 
The Bible says all the days ordained for me were written in a book before one of them came to be. Your life is writing a story. Now let's, let's back up for a minute. I was a, uh, <clears throat> I told you I don't have a degree. I do have a two-year degree, and I was working on my uh, four-year degree in uh, something. Help me, Lord. <laughs> Elementary education with a uh, minor in English literature. That's what I wanted you to hear. In English literature. So I like to write, and I know all, you know, I'm very literal. I understand all the, you know, grammatical stuff or what have you. So let's back up for a minute. Let's talk about the parts of a story because this is fascinating to me. Every story has a setting. A time and a place in which the characters and the plot is going to take place. Story of creation. God was created day and night. Stars, moon, land, plants. What was he doing? He was creating the setting. A time and a place in which he would position his main characters, Adam and Eve. Every story has a plot. That's the purpose or the main idea that the author is portraying through the characters. Listen to it. I didn't make this up. I'm not that smart. Okay, then every story has characters. Of course, that's the people that the author uses to speak his message. I just, I just Googled these definitions, y'all. It's fascinating, okay? So, and then it's conflict. Every story has a conflict. Do we got conflict in our life? Yes. Every story has a conflict. That's the opposition or the challenges within the story that poses to damage the main characters. Not making this up. I'm not making this up. See, we are living a story, and we have an opposition, and he has a name, and his name is Satan, and the only thing he has come is to steal, kill, and destroy. That's what it tells me in John 10. I don't care what Google says. John 10, 10 tells me that I have, a, I have an enemy who is opposing my story, and he wants to steal, kill, and destroy. He wants to damage my character. He wants to ruin my integrity. He wants to steal my story. He wants to take my pen. That's the opposition, the conflict in the story. And many of us cower and we're like, Satan's trying to kill me. Of course he's trying to kill you. Read the Bible. That's not a newsflash. It's not a newsflash. But read the end. And it says you win. In fact, it says you've already won. And if you recognize that, you wouldn't care. It doesn't matter because I can sit at the presence of a table and eat of the goodness of God in the presence of my enemy. I get to look at the enemy and be like, eh. That's right. Mm -hmm. mm. Whatever. That shouldn't surprise us. And of course, every story has an author, the writer, the originator of the story who has a message he wants to express. Your life is a story. God has authored your story. But you have to live it out. You have to choose to walk it out. God has a sovereign pen that was used to write your story. And that story is that transparency that we're trying to align. And the day you were born, God said, sweetheart, we're going to begin to partner. And I'm going to give you the pen. I'm trying to tell you here, a lot of times we think, well, God just has the pen. God has the pen, but it's already written. And when we come into Jesus Christ, he hands us the pen and says, now I'm giving you the authority. You follow? Because this is where I think we miss it as believers. Sometimes I think we just stand back and we wait on God to fix everything, not realizing that he says, you as a child of God have the right 
That word there, in the, I'm talking about in the, the, um, in the book of John, in the first John, it says you have the right as children of God. Okay, and that word there means exousia, meaning you have the authority. You have the authority. Okay, so there are places in the scripture where it talks about the power we've been given through Christ, the power we've been given through the Holy Spirit. But then he says, you also have the authority to practice the power. Hey, newsflash, you have the authority to practice the power. And that's taking the pen and saying, mm -mm, I know that God has told me this. I know that God has given me a promise. I know that God's my healer. I know that God's my deliverer. I know that God is faithful. I know that, and we just begin to write. And we just begin to write. And we write according to the promises of God. And when the enemy comes and tries to take our pen, we become tenacious and we hold on to that pen like a bulldog holds on to a, to a, a bone. What does a bulldog hold on to? A bone. A bone. <laughs> Thank you. And so we become tenacious for that. With each stroke of his pen, he is developing our character. Listen, throughout a story, there's character development, right? And God is developing our character through life. And so God is developing my character every day. We don't like character development. We don't like it, but, but nobody wants to read a book where we don't come to love the character. We fall in love. We come to know the character. I don't know how many of you guys have ever read Catherine Kuhlman's, uh, it's not an autobiography, it's a biography, or one of her, uh, uh, what's it called? It's just called Catherine Kuhlman, right? I, I fell in love with her in this book, and in the end she dies, and I'm crying, I'm like, <laughs> because the book was written by her, one of her bodyguards, and the development the way he developed the de definition and described her character, you fall in love with See, Every story develops the character. And every day as we're living our life, God is developing our character, the character of Christ in us that was there from the beginning and God's bringing it to pass as we live out our stories one letter at a time. See, there is purpose for the raw eggs in your life. You can't spit out the eggs and expect to get brownies. You just can't do it. I've tried it. You cannot do it. You've got to take the raw eggs, the oil, everything, every ingredient that God brings and says, I know that I know that I know that God is using this to bring out yummy brownies in my life. I'm going to have a sweet aroma that people are drawn to. Come on now, who doesn't love the smell of brownies? Like we are all drawn. We want to taste and see the goodness of God in other people's lives because we carry the aroma of all the ingredients being brought together and something yummy is coming out of my life. And that's what we're talking about here. But here's a question I have for you. Who's writing your story? Who's holding your pen? Is the world holding your pen? I often meet people who are allowing the world to write their stories. They are navigated by the perceptions of what the world would say is important, getting sucked into the messages of the world instead of God's message. I was able to uh, minister last week. The, the theme was called This Is Me, uh, the This Is Me conference, and just talking about me and the fact that that whole, how many of you guys saw The Greatest Showman? But the idea that these people shift at some point from living their life under the perception, which then becomes their paradigm, their identity, right? Because our core belief predetermines how we will perceive our perspective and will become our paradigm. That's a message for a whole nother day. But what they did was they allowed the paradigm and what the world said navigate their core belief about who they were. Are you looking for insight, direction, or empowerment for your passion or purpose? Lisa offers group coaching for individuals, small groups, as well as businesses. 
If you want to bring transition, perspective, and focus to your purpose or passion, contact us today. For more information, go to lisa-swartz.com. That is lisa-schwarz.com. But God says, be rooted and established in the basic principles of Christ rather than being taken captive through the philosophies of the world. And your core belief will begin to navigate your reality. You hear what I'm saying? The woman with the issue of blood said, I am so determined. I am so grounded. I am so rooted on my faith in Christ that I have predetermined my paradigm before I've even touched him. Y'all, that's some good preaching. I'm going to wait so you can get that. Your core belief will predetermine your encounter with Jesus. Sometimes we all go, like, I encounter Jesus, but I just don't get what they get. Well, it's because you didn't believe. Your core belief is already in a position of doubt. It's already in a position of what the world would tell you. And so if you position yourself rooted and established in the faith, that's what the scripture says. As you therefore receive Jesus Christ, Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up. And built up in him, established. That word established means to be established. You can't move me. I am so established. My mind is so set. I am so stubborn for what I know God has said that it doesn't matter what the paradigm is telling me. In fact, I have the power to influence the paradigm. Is that not what the woman at the well did? See, her core belief was, sh was shattered, shifted, and it shifted from what the perceptions of the world said to what Jesus said, and she therefore then went and influenced her paradigm. That's the people of God. That's the story, the power of our story, that when we're so rooted and established in the truth of Jesus Christ, but many of us are wearing ourselves out, living life empty, unfulfilled, defeated, because we're trying to keep up with the standards of the world. And can I tell you that that's a moving target? It's a moving target trying to keep up with the standards of the world. But God says there is a foundation upon which we stand, and it's not of this world. And it's a rock named Jesus Christ. And it's immovable, unshakable, never shifting, and the one firm place upon which I place my feet. I am firmly established, rooted, built up in Jesus Christ. And the world can have its perceptions, but I'm not going to live my life in the world. My story is not of the world. It is in the world, but it is not of the world. It is triumphant over the world. It is authoritative. I am influencing the world and not being influenced by the world. That's what the scripture says. But some of us in here are allowing the world to write our stories. We have handed our authority. We have given our pen to the world to begin to tell us this is how much you're worth because this is how much you get paid. We let the world tells our tries to tell our children how much they're worth by putting a letter grade on the top of their uh, their classwork, their homework, right? And so it poses this threat to tell our kids this is how smart you are. You got an A in math, you're smart in math, but you got a C in science, so you're dumb in science. That's the world trying to write our children's story, and that should irritate us. It should anger us, and it should vex us, because that's not what my God says. God says your intelligence is not based on world's assessment. It's based on the blood of Jesus Christ, and that is it.
Some of us are letting other people write our story. <laughs> this is one of my favorites because, again, I'm a counselor, and I spend all of my days trying to get people to set up healthy boundaries and stop letting everybody else navigate your life. Oh, you don't know Susie. If I don't go to lunch with her, she'll be mad. I might as well just go. And then we're angry and bitter all day long because we don't have the guts to say, no, Susie, you don't get to write my day. Susie, you don't get to navigate my schedule. See, this is what it means to not let other people have the pen of your life. The Bible says in Galatians, am I now trying to win the favor and the approval of men or of God? Notice there's no in-between. You're either a friend of the world or you're a friend of God. But God says to be a friend of the world is to be an enemy of God. Does it not? It says that in James. Not making this up. There's no in-between. You're either living your life for God or you're being navigated by people. He says, if I were still trying to be popular with men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. I remember, uh, I told you guys, I shared with you when I was starting uh, this ministry, that uh, I actually, when I started this ministry, I actually was not baptized with the Holy Spirit. Surprise. Um, and so I... Um, you know, when I came into the understanding of the power and the movement of the Holy Spirit and the manifestational gifts, it kind of freaked me out a little because I was like, and I had several people saying, this is going to destroy your ministry. We had all these youth coming and all the youth pastors had a come to Jesus meeting with Lisa. Come to Jesus. You got, we we got to warn you. you you're going to ruin your ministry. You can't go into the ways of, of, of the, you know, it's just not going to be good. And the Lord asked me this question. He said, you can have one of two things. You can be popular or you can be powerful. You can seek acceptance or you can see, seek effectiveness. Those are the two questions he asked me. He said, make your choice. Do you want to be popular or do you want to be powerful? Do you want to be accepted or do you want to be effective? Choose you this day whom you will serve. Choose you this day blessings or curses, death or life. And I had to choose. I had to choose not to let those people, which were the church folk, mind you, to write my story. And I had to come into the story that God had already written all along. And the Holy Spirit was like, come on, baby. Come on, baby. Come on over here. You've gotten a little off track. You're a little off the lines, but you're so close. I want you to hit the bullseye. And so I'm going to have you right, right here, right on the lines of the Holy Spirit. And now you've got it. Now you're in the zone. See, sometimes we're all around the target board, but we're missing the, we're missing the bullseye. And see, that's what the Lord was doing. You're on the target board, but you're off the bullseye. And the Holy Spirit's going to bring you in so you're right on line with the bullseye. But the world didn't want that. People in my life didn't want that. It was too weird. It was too awkward. It was too outside the box. And God asked me, are you trying to seek the approval of men or of God? What do you want to do? You've got to choose. But some of us are allowing people to develop our character. Instead of God developing our character. You know, the Bible says, above all else, guard your heart. Keep with all diligence thine heart. To keep with all diligence means to put it under lock and key. And we lock things up that are valuable to us. And I would like to propose to you that some of us don't value the design that's in our heart, the purpose that God has put us, the seed of God within us. We don't understand it. We don't love it. We don't treasure it. And therefore, we don't lock it up and guard it. We give it away and we let everybody else begin to develop our character and our care storyline in life. And then we whine and we complain because we become nothing but victims. We, we have 
two parties, right? And, and I would like to propose to you one of these parties is, is, it represents a narcissistic spirit that says you're weak, you're pitiful, and you need a hero, and we want to rescue you. Is that not what a narcissist does? That's what's been happening from the very beginning of time. Where the enemy came to Eve and said, mm, you think you're free, but if you would let me captivate you, then you'll find protective and freedom. And what actually happened is she lost her freedom, right? And so that's what we're getting in the government. All these people are like, you just need more programs and you need us to take care of you and you need us to protect you and saying that it's going to bring us freedom, but it's actually stealing our freedom. That's a narcissistic spirit. It's in the Bible over and over again. Is that not what King Sennacherib did with King Hezekiah and all the Israelite nation when they said, well, come out to us and we'll take care of you. Listen, we've got all these chariots. If even you have enough horses and people and men that you could put on them, the narcissistic spirit that says you need us to rescue you. And it's cultivated in its time. Listen, we can't overcome the narcissistic spirit, but we can empower the victim. You follow what I'm saying? That's the answer in our, in our society. Rise up and come into your authority and empowerment in Christ and we will overtake them. That's all there is to it. Just saying, listen, this is what the Bible says. 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 That we, from the very beginning, we were created to be a prosperous nation. We were created to be a productive people. We were created to stand upon the earth to subdue it and to have dominion. But the enemy has come alongside and said, oh, you poor little weak little pitiful thing. You need us to take care of you. You need food stamps and you need Section 8. And, you, and I work with the poverty, okay? And so the problem is instead of empowering these people, they have become to rely on and they're actually losing their freedom. They're becoming more captivated, more enslaved. And it's gaining those people more control over us. The people of God have got to rise up and recognize that there is a story that we are getting sucked into that is counterintuitive to the very first blessing of God. The very first blessing of God. Some of us are letting our past write our story. Many of us are captive to our past, our wounds, our mistakes. Some of us are even captive to our past successes that we think, well, we're just gonna keep doing that same thing. And if I do just the right dance, the same thing will happen again. I always think, I kind of joke around and I think to myself, hmm, I wonder if Joshua came to the Jordan Sea and he tried to raise, raise the <laughs> because that's how Moses did it, right? He raised the staff and the Red Sea was parted. And so I wonder if he got there and he tried to raise the staff and God was like, hmm, new day, honey. You're gonna do it a new way. See, he tried to do it according to his past and it didn't work. Because it was a new day, a new thing. And a lot of us are letting our past, the comfortability of our past, what always worked before, instead of recognizing that God is developing our character and things that were easy may become more difficult and things that were difficult may become more easy. Because God is doing a new thing. Many of us are allowing our past wounds to write us. The messages, you know that every wound that comes with you comes with a message. It speaks an identity over you. And if you are not firmly rooted and established in a core belief of Christ, that wound will begin to become your paradigm. Your personality will mold itself. I like to say a wound is kind of like a rock and your personality is like Play-Doh. And when we hold on to a wound and we hold on to anger and we hold on to forgiveness, our personality becomes molded around that wound. And so now we're afraid of men because I was sexually molested as a child. Or now we're angry with women because my mom beat me when I was a child. And we allow our past to write our stories and develop our character. And the Bible says that I am not dictated by my past, but my future is dictated by the hope that I have of becoming like Christ. I'm not navigated by my past. Praise Jesus. Thank you, God. Can, can we just 
hey. <laughs> I mean, it looks wrapped up pretty in a little bow, but everybody has a little baggage in their past. Come on. Our flesh is often writing our stories for you. And when I say flesh, I'm not just talking about your physical flesh. I'm talking about your soul, your mind, your will, and your emotions. Some of us are so navigated by fear, we don't even recognize it. The Bible says that you are led by a deluded heart, and you don't even know it. That you have become so deceived, you don't even realize it because it's become so a part of who you are, you don't even recognize that you're being navigated by fear. I know some fantastic people who want to start ministries, and you know what their motive is? Anger. Bitterness, hatred, pride. But there is nothing that should motivate you other than faith and love and the hope that you have. In, I, I didn't write this up. I'm not, I didn't make this up. It's in the Bible. Faith, hope, and love. If you're not motivate, motivated by faith, hope, and love, don't get up until you get it reconciled. Don't move forward until you get it reconciled because you don't want anger, hate, bitterness, hurts, wounds, to write your future because it will get you way off the letter marks and you won't know what you're writing. It will look like mumble jumble, a message that nobody can read. It's chaotic, it's crazy, and it's not clear. And that is not my God. See, our God is an orderly God. He created the voids day one, day two, day three. And with intentional order, he came back and he filled the void. Come on now, because he, he's organized. He's an organized, orderly God. Now, his order is different from ours, okay? So we have an order that we've established here. But our God has a sense of order. When he fed the multitude, he put them in groups. Because there's an order in the kingdom. And God is ordering the days of your life, but it doesn't look like the order of the world. It looks very, very different. The Bible says this, so I say, walk in the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Listen, for the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit. See, there is an internal tension in you and I. And it's the, it's the spirit trying to pull us on to the letter of God. And our flesh is like, I don't want to do that. Right? That's what Paul is talking about in Romans chapter 7. He says, everything I want to do, I don't do. And everything I don't want to do, this I keep on doing. He's frustrated. But then he goes on and he says, but praise be to God that by the Spirit I'm learning how to come into life and peace of the Spirit. That's what he says in Romans chapter 7, chapter 8. And that's what he's talking about, saying I've got to come out of this conflict. It says that they, meaning the spirit and the flesh, are in conflict with one another so that you are not, you, that you are not to do whatever you want. You're not to do whatever you want. We're to surrender and bow our lives before the Lord and let him have his way with your life. Why would we kick against the goads, but we do it? I try to tell people, listen, it should be more difficult for you to not live with God than it is for you to live against God. It should be more difficult for us to sin than it is for us to just walk in the holiness and the purity of God. It should be more difficult for us to live in fear than for us to come into the freedom of no fear, perfect love, which casts out fear. It should be more difficult for us to not prosper than it is for us to prosper. It should be more difficult for us to not produce fruit than it is for us to bear bitter fruit. 
Because scripture says, I made for myself, I dug for myself a vineyard, I set it on a hillside, I set it up to succeed, so much so that I put a wine press in the middle of it and I expected it to bring forth good fruit. That's what it says in Isaiah chapter 5. But instead it brought forth bitter fruit and that's a hard, the scripture says the way of a transgressor is hard. It's hard. And we kick against the goads of what's in us and what's been in us all along. God says he, that the eternity is set in the heart of every man. There's a drawing inside of every single person to come into the fullness. And they may say they don't feel it, but they feel it. I know they feel it. Because I deal with these people every day who are living less than, unsatisfied, empty, unfulfilled because they're trying it their way and the Holy Spirit is pulling them onto the letter of God saying, baby, there's a better way for you. There's more for you. Come on, get your pen and start writing my story. And that's what I'm talking about. And then there's God's story. God wrote a story about a man and a woman who were created to prosper. He said to them, be fruitful and multiply, have dominion and stand on the earth, subdue it. And all things will be under your feet and you will prosper and you will be productive and I will develop your character of intimacy with me, intimacy with each other and a life filled with the perfect love. But the enemy interrupted and corrupted that story with his cunning deception Telling them that they were missing out and that the world had something more to offer them than God did. See, that's, that's, the, that's the battle, that's the message we struggle with. Oh, I'm missing out on something. The world tells me this is what I need to go after. This person says this is what will satisfy me. This is what the world is saying to me. And there's a message that's been spoken to us from the very beginning of time. That's why it says, I'm afraid that you will be drawn by the cunning deceptions of Satan just as Eve was in the garden. That's what Paul said. I fear that you will be drawn away from God's story and you will live the correct Interrupted, interruptive story of Satan. And by the choice of man, they were picked up, pulled out of God's story, and dropped into the story of the world, Satan's story. They gave up their pen. They handed it over to Satan. Because a lot of, and I'm saying this to you so you understand, you are not a victim. You are not a victim. And I'm not telling you, I am not ignorant to real challenges in life. But I am telling you that the minute I say, if you don't take ownership, even in victimizing circumstances, then the victimization that you are experiencing will become your identity. And that is counterintuitive to who God has said we are as a people of God. And it is time for us to rise up. The world will call it victim blaming. I say it's empowering the victim. If you're being bullied, whose fault is that? Because my desire is to enforce purpose in the people, in the lives of people. To see kingdom principles come into your reality. But the first thing we have to do is say, that's my pen. That is my pen, and I'm taking ownership over the choices that I have made. I have so many residents all the time like, Satan just keeps attacking me, I just, and this happened, and that happened, and other, and I said, baby, that's not Satan, those are your choices. That's consequence of choice. Come on now, don't give him more credit than do him. We've got to own up to the fact that God says, you choose. Choose for you day, today. Death or life. 
blessing or curses. There's an empowerment going on here in the spirit. There's an empowerment going on here in the spirit. There's an empowerment going on here in the spirit. But we have to take ownership and say, you know what? Wrong place, wrong time, bad choice. And there was a consequence. And that doesn't make what that person did right. But when I take ownership, I get set free from that person. And and I'm I'm speaking from experience. Can I just tell you that? I mean, I have, I have sexual abuse in my history, and I'm telling you, until I came to a place where I said I was at the wrong place at the wrong time, and I made a wrong choice, and there was a consequence. And that doesn't make what happened to me, what he did, any better, but it set me free from feeling like he had all the power. It made me recognize that I, even in that moment, could have chosen differently. I'm just telling you that where my freedom lied was when I said I'm taking ownership of that moment from so many years ago. I'm taking ownership of that spot. I'm going to own up to what was my part. And in that, there was freedom. That is not victim blaming. That's empowering the victim. I'm gonna talk, I could talk all day long on this because I deal with it every day. I deal with it every day. But listen. Adam and Eve handed the pen over to Satan, giving him authority to write all the days of their lives. These are the days of our lives. Anybody watch it? Right? Giving them power to write. But, but, but God, but God, the writing of God still prevailed. See, God had his own interruption for Satan's corruption. He had his own interruption for Satan's corruption. And Satan's corruptive story was interrupted by God's redemptive story through the name of Jesus Christ. And nobody can thwart the plan of God. See, Satan had a plan, but God had an interruptive plan that was going to interrupt his corruption with redemption through the name of Jesus Christ. And the Bible I read says, I know, I know that God can do everything and that no purpose of God's can be withheld from him. That's what it says in Job. In Isaiah, it says, For the Lord of hosts has purposed, and who will annul the purposes of God? For his hand is stretched out, and who will turn it back? See, not even Satan, even the death, the gates of hell shall not prevail against the will of God in your life. Because there has been an interruption to any corruption that has been in your life. And I'm here to tell you that that interruption is through the redemptive power of Jesus Christ. And when you say, Satan, your corruption sucks. I'm not going to let you have it anymore. I'm taking my pen back. And God and I are going to begin to write. And I'm coming into the super in the midst of a natural. Because my natural has the potential for a super. Because of Jesus, every day is a new day. It is a day to take the pen that is handed to you by Jesus and begin to trace the words that God has preordained for you. Every day of your life has already been written. We're just coming into what God had planned all along. And you can take the long route, you can take the short route, but either way you're gonna get to heaven if you know Jesus. Either way, you're going to get there. So you can take the long, miserable, transgressing way that is hard, or you can just bow your knee to the Lord, humble yourself before the Lord, and he will lift you up. Being low, laid low before God, and he will lift you up on high.
Either way, you're going to get there. If you know Jesus, either way, you're going to get there. But you can take the 40 years in the wilderness, or you can take an airplane and get there tomorrow. But this girl's taking an airplane because I've done the way of the transgressor, and it was hard. And I'm tired of kicking against the goats. I'm tired of it. And it's time for us to understand that all things are working together for good. Look, when I hand, when I take the pen out of my past, I take the pen out of Satan's hand, I take the pen out of my wound's hand, I take the pen out of the people's hand, and I and God begin to partner together, I'm not just writing my future, but I'm rewriting my past. Because even everything that the devil intended for evil is being turned into good. And even the ordinary is being turned into the extraordinary. Even the natural is being turned into the supernatural. Because our God is a God that's outside of space and time. And he can take even the past and rewrite it. And the places where you were once weakest will become perfected in your life. It's a place where you will become the strongest. And the Bible says, in that I will glory all the more. I will glory even in my weakness because I know that when God and I are partnering together that not only is he writing my future he's rewriting my past and what once was a dark spot is becoming the lightest place in my life what once was a wound has become a spot of healing what once was darkness is now my greatest point of life what once was my disease has now become my healing and that's how God works when we begin to partner with him in writing the story that has been written all along. It's easy. The yoke of the Lord is easy. And his burden is light. The way of a transgressor is hard. It's hard. It's hard. I've brought pens because I really believe in the power of prophetic acts. You pick the pen that you feel like represents you. You know, whatever color is kind of your color between you and the Lord. Some of you are like, oh yeah, I know my color. But I want you to take a pen as a prophetic act that says today I'm taking my pen. This is my pen. And this is my life. And I am no longer okay being written by everybody else. Y'all, we are not victims. We are more than conquerors in Christ. We can bend a bow of bronze. You understand that is not possible in the natural. You can't bend a bow of bronze in the natural. But God says that my people bend bows of bronze. That means we defy the natural, that there's a stupor on our natural, that we have a shield of victory in our hand and we stand upon the earth and the enemy has beat us, find us beneath our feet. See, we are fighting from the last chapter. We know the ending of the story. And so we don't have to, <laughs> I can't make it. We get to stand at the end of the, of the story. Well, I've read the last page. I know where I'm going to end up. And I look into where I'm at today from this point, And I say, come on, Lisa, let's go. Come on, come on, come on, girl. Come on, girl. Is that not what David was doing when he said, Oh, my soul, why are you so downcast? Why are you disquieted within me? Put your hope in God. Remember who he is. Speak to your soul and pull it into the perfect redemptive story. Father, we come before you in the name of Jesus. We thank you, Father, for the divine sovereign pen. 
and the and the unction of the Holy Spirit that begins to show us God every letter that's already been written preordained before the foundations of the earth God before I knew you you knew me before I recognized you you knew me before I knew your name God you knew my name before I knew the sound of your voice God you knew you knew my cry what a mighty God we serve what a peace there is in knowing that there's an ease in just coming into an alignment with the freedom of God's story. The redemptive power overcoming all the crud and the muck that the world is throwing on us. We have nothing to do with you, Satan. You're a liar straight from the pit of hell. And we rebuke you in one accord and we tell you tonight your story ends and we will not live according to your message we are not going to be a reflection of your character but we will be the reflection of God's character an almighty reflection of the person of Jesus Christ living out the life that reflects and tells the story of the heart of a God of all gods, the King of all kings, the Lord of all lords, my life, the expression of God's heart for his people, navigated by love. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. I praise you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for tuning in to my podcast, Enforcing Purpose with Lisa Schwartz. For more information or to keep up on current events and products, please go to my website at www.lisa-schwartz.com.